everybody and welcome. We're back. This is WTS 247. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan and this is the best podcast in Ireland. What's the story podcast? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's actually Puff Ballybrack on the map. Google didn't have it on the maps until me and Mero started recording podcasts. And that is a fact. You can Google it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a few times one of our guests used to get a passport to come over to us. And he happens to be on the show this week and he's brought a friend. Mero, why don't you do the honours, my friend? This is an, I'm very giddy about this podcast um, because it has been about four months in the making. Um, we have reached out to this guy about 10 times over the years. I met him in Vegas. He ignored me. Um, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> First of all, what's this, four, what's this four months? What's this 10 times? What's this Vegas? Bunch of lies here off the bat. That is the voice of the new and improved heel. Ariel Helwani, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm just wondering when the uh, the Venmo is coming in for my appearance fee here. Do you guys have Venmo in Ireland? I was told I was being paid a hundred quid for this. Never heard and of it. No, so- okay, interesting. We revoluted Pizzi. Pizzi has your money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because you know I have uh, you know very high standards as far as the podcast that I appear on, um, and I don't know about this. Did we? Did you really ask me ten times, or was that a lie? That's a lie. That's a lie. Okay. That, that is a By the way, that's something I would say as well, just for the record. So I appreciate yeah. it. it we, need to introduce, we need to introduce your sidekick that's also on the show today, making his umpteenth appearance. Peter, Mr. Peter Carroll. Hello, everyone. I just want to know right from the get-go, are you only having me on to get him on? That's what I want yeah. to know, because that's what it feels like. I mean, I felt like I was his agent yesterday. <laughs> I had to rejig the times and everything. 11 hours. hey. Oh, what's this small foy podcast I'm going to be doing? Of so I many never said that. I never said me. that. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe I have to do this. And then, <clears throat> then I have to change that up. And I'm going, am I just, am I just. It actually felt good to delegate this to someone else. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just jump in with a couple of things there. Uh, multi-award winning podcast and yeah. PT. This has been a slow born. We've had to have you on the podcast, as Meryl said, umpteen times in order to get the big fish. Yeah. So, you, you were effectively air bait, and I appreciate that, but your job is done now. All right? <laughs> Thank you. Fair Thank play. You Fair play. Yeah. I accept it it. it. it is not like we would associate with somebody from Blanchardstown willingly. <laughs> this has been a tactic, it has been a strategy, and it's finally paying dividends. So I'm very happy with how this has gone. Well played, lads. Well played, I must oh, say. Um, how, how is free agent Ariel Helwani? Uh, well, honestly, I don't feel like a free agent anymore because I feel like I have 95 jobs. Um, so, uh, it, uh, it's been good. You know, June, uh, I left ESPN and, uh, then I decided in the process of, of leaving that I would take some time off. And that was daunting in its own right, uh, because I never really took an extended period of time off. Uh, but I thought it would be beneficial to me. And maybe to the audience as well, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. I'd kind of been uh, omnipresent for a decade or so. And I th- it really, I think it worked out well in the sense that uh, I got to go home uh, to Montreal to see my family. And that was amazing. It was one of the best summers of my life, just because I felt really good about the fact that I didn't have a lot of work-related stuff to do. Now, I did do a lot of work-related stuff in the sense that I was kind of preparing all the stuff that I was doing, but it was different kind of work, right? It wasn't booking guests and doing shows. So that was refreshing in its own right. 
And now that uh, we're underway a month and change or so, it's been really good. It's It's been very exciting, refreshing, great to work with PT again, great to work with some old friends again, great to do some new projects, great to show people a different side of myself. Uh, really, I, I can't be happier with it. And, um, you know, part of the challenge that I was taking on was like fitting all these little puzzle pieces into a larger puzzle. And I feel like they've all some way somehow fit very nicely together and i've gotten to do some cool new things like the jake paul fight and all that stuff so yeah um at, independent giovanni is going really well at what point in the puzzle did you pick up your apprentice young carl here how did that come to be because right now the podcast that i look forward to every week is indeed the ringer mma show and oh that's nice it has been, uh, I, I particularly enjoy it, mo- mostly because I couldn't get my head around just the madness that was that thriller card a couple of weeks ago. So that episode really helped because the Vander Holyfield situation was blowing my mind. But uh, yeah, how, t- tell people how you guys got a band together. Well, uh, I met PT uh, several years ago. I think it was, was it McGregor Diaz? Poirier, was it? It was, was McGregor it uh, Brandel. Brando. Yeah, I guess that was before 2014, July of 2014. That was the first time I didn't meet you. You weren't in Boston for uh, for the no, the I wasn't Holloway. Holloway. And then that's when I got talking to you, the Dennis Seaver fight in um, yeah, in in Boston just after the Poirier, the first fight with Poirier. And but wait, Brando was before that. Yeah, so Brando, and then I started talking to you properly. Like oh, but we met there. at Brando, no? Did we not yeah, meet at yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. yeah, I love that trip, man. What a trip. Like, I think back on that, that. That was like one of those trips, those magical trips, and there's moments that I remember, like being in the cab, uh, going to the airport, um, going to, and I know the locals will look down on this, but uh, Temple Bar, right? Like, it was just so great. I love Irish people. I really do. I love your, this is a French term, but like your joie de vivre. Like, you guys are just very happy-go-lucky people and you're very warm and welcoming. I, I, I love the culture. I love the slang. I love everything about it. So that was just a magical trip. And uh, my only time that I've been there, I hope that I get to go in the future as well. So yeah, so we met then and then, you know, several events after we meet and um, I uh, really wanted to work with PT and really admired his work and thought that he brought a lot to the table, especially at MMA fighting in my, my, my old days there, that we were missing, you know, an authority on European MMA, but also, as I've often said to him, like, you don't have to just be the European MMA guy, like you're, you're very well versed in the entire sport globally, but it's great that, you know, for example, when we're talking about the Till Brunson card, there's a lot of guys on that card from Cage Warriors and other promotions that maybe I'm not watching or Chuck isn't watching or other American journalists aren't watching and you have that insight. And um, I found an opening, I would like to think when McGregor Mayweather was about to happen or Mayweather McGregor um, and I I pushed, I was like, look, this is gonna be the biggest fight of uh, maybe our life. It's gonna be the biggest fight of the year for sure. It was a massive deal. And um, this guy knows everything about Connor and he knows about his backstory and his coaches and all that like this would be the perfect entry to get him on board and and uh, luckily they uh they 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 obliged and it all worked out and I thought it was great and uh you know that you know I left a year later um to go to ESPN and and working uh with people like PT like Sean Alshadi like Chuck Mindenhall uh that was the hardest part about leaving because I thought we had such a great team everyone was out 
looking for each other and had each other's backs and there was no jealousy. And that's a very rare thing. And it's, it's something that I kind of was reminded of when I went to ESPN, like that camaraderie is a very rare thing to have where you're not trying to stab each other in the back. You're not looking sideways at someone. So uh, actually uh, when I was at ESPN, I was even pushing for Mr. Pizzi to join the team there. And I do believe uh, that uh, he got an opportunity and then he freaking slapped me in the face, did a couple of gigs, wrote a couple of great stories, one on Cage Warriors. Was it only two in the end? Just Cage Warriors on the, the anniversary of the, the Brandel card, yeah. Two really great stories. Uh, yeah, I think they, the I think they're still up. You can check them out. One uh, was the anniversary of Brandau, and uh, and then he freaking used me and left me high and dry. And even despite <laughs> that, when I was trying to figure out, you know, where I wanted to work next and with who, uh, you know, I wanted to work with friends and and good teammates, and so uh, I pushed this idea of uh, PT Chuck and I um, getting an opportunity to do this show and. Luckily, it all worked out. Sorry for the long-winded. It, it, there's a lot more that I could say, but in, in conclusion, I just want to say like the big thing for me when trying to decide what I wanted to do next was I want to work with friends. I want to work with people who I like working with. I want to work with people who are good people who you know will support me, and I want to support them and just have that you know that that partnership and that camaraderie. And you know, PT was at the top of the list and I think he didn't believe me a couple times or I think he didn't believe that it would come to fruition, but I'm a man of my word. And when I say I'm going to get something done, I freaking get something done. Yes. Love that. PT, um, Ariel spoke there in his monologue. (laughs) 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 He spoke there about um, the atmosphere around Dublin, uh, about McGregor Brandau, you know, in the, in the cab, in the taxi and all. And, there was probably everyone around that time. That's all people could talk about because we had been, um, what's the word? We we had been entertained by Connor even on the late late show and stuff. And people were, um, it like they were they were loving him and they were they were loving the story of working class and stuff like that. Now that's dead. Um, do you see it happening again? No. Um, for for Connor, I I don't think that we're gonna have a national obsession with him again. Um, but I mean, ever? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. No, I think. Um, what is he? Thirty two now. Go down, right? Like I've said this to you before, Ariel. Like it got to a stage where a whole generation of people were so behind Connor, and anything he did, we were defending him, defending him. This is fans of the sport, and then obviously he reaches that crazy amount of fame, and things don't start going his way, and. They really started to pile up, right? The L started to pile up in terms of what was happening in his public life. And I think it just got to a point where, you know, there was a straw that broke the camel's back where great fans like Graham Merrigan, who traveled all the way around the world to see him, just kind of finally said, you know, I have enough of that. And um, I think those big shifts, like I just think from where Connor was when the whole nation was enamored by him, I'd never seen a nation fall in love with a sports star like that in, in my lifetime. So like quickly it was complete, as well. It was completely a, a freak thing. Never seen it with, even with guys in bigger sports, Rory McIlroy, uh, Robbie Keane, all this stuff. I'd never seen anything like it. So for me to think about all the stuff he's gone through to get back to there where he was, I think that's very difficult. Can he win the public back? Yes, to a certain extent, but I don't think it will ever 
be where it was when he was on that initial ascent. Ariel, do you find that um, somewhat, um, that analysis there, do you find that a bit strange considering um, the American market, the North American market still seems to adore Connor and still seems to, he still seems to be breaking box office records and we've seen him at the Cubs and, you know, He's, he's front and center. One of the greatest so ceremonial first pitches in the history. By the way, he's done a great job of completely changing. You got to give him credit on that yeah, one. Like he's yeah, leaned all – there was only two ways to go with that one. You either lean in and kind of mock <laughs> yeah. yourself, but like be sort of oblivious to it or just run away from it. And I think he actually went the right route because um, it's comical. And like you can tell – I would like to think he's laughing at himself. Um but look, in America, people love reclamation projects. People love comeback stories. People love the idea of someone having it all and losing it all and then working their way back up and all this stuff. And so I still feel like he is young enough to where all that could happen. Um, certainly, you see he is still a very popular figure. Is he as hot as he was in 2016 or 17? I guess it's debatable. Um, no, he's not. No. But where? But where? In North here. America. Talking, in North, no, no, but in North America. But I'm talking about here. I'm talking about yeah. here. It's okay, a different yeah. thing. More, yeah, I, I more, feel like he's a, he, he went from being like that That was a part of it. Like he was ours, right? And then he gets so big, he becomes an international commodity. And like you too, who Danny recently called uh, Bono a pox on national TV. Danny said that. It's kind of like when they get to that level of success, the Irish people just have a, some type of separation. They just go, All Why right, is that, though? Why do you think that is? Is it I like think, the, I think, we love I think to... The, I think with the Bono thing, it's begrudgery, perhaps. Yeah. But with the McGregor thing, it's his private life that has come out in... Mm. Like, Ireland is a small place, so you hear rumours all the time. Um, and obviously, the, the press over here can't report on it, but people aren't silly at the same time, you know, that way. So it's a small country. And I think... I think the Bono and the McGregor comparison, I don't think it's that valid in as far as Bono hasn't done anything in his private life to what we've heard allegedly McGregor has done in his private life. Do you well, know that the, way? Yeah, okay, uh, 100%. I get that. It's a very, very complex story. Um, I have said, even before the controversies, I always felt, and I think PT heard, of it, uh, heard from it too, like <clears throat> sometimes I would go on these shows and I felt like for some reason they were like rooting for his demise, even mm. before all of this. Like for some reason, it was either them, you know, taking shots at MMA or saying it's not an honorable way to make a living or it's barbaric. And this yeah. guy is not like us. He's not humble. It's like, geez, guys, can you, can you at least appreciate like not everyone has to fit the mold of what you think an Irish person has to be or any kind of person has to be. Like this is who he is. He's doing great things. He's representing the, the flag. I'm talking, you know, 2014, 2015, Aldo, you know, it felt like for some reason there was this weird um, relationship with him in the national media, in the Irish national media, where people weren't quite, I, I was on those shows where they were like interrogating me about him, like, oh, the trash talk and the this and that. I was like, geez, this is so strange. Um, and coming from a place, Canada, that had, you know, had someone like GSP, who obviously is a completely different character, but like, I felt like Canada really embraced GSP and was rooting for his success. And here it felt like the national media was rooting against him. 
Um, and so I'm not yeah. surprised that now that you give people reason to reason to root against you, that it's even you know tougher to win them over again. But I don't know. I even felt from the beginning, truth be told, that not the Irish MMA media, but the Irish national sports and just general media never quite got on board with Conor McGregor. I think, I think part of that, sorry, Peter, I was just going to say, I think part of that is there's a bit of an old guard in Irish journalism, mm. I think, that, that was never, and, and to this day still hasn't fully accepted MMA. Um, and I think, like I remember back to, was it UFC 93, Henderson Franklin in Dublin? And mm-hmm. I can remember, uh, Ariel, I'm not sure if you, you, you know this one or not, maybe you do, uh, there's a radio show over here that's one of the most listened to shows in the country. It's called the Joe Duffy oh. Show. Right? And it is... It's, it's terrible. Just, it's just mad. It's just people calling in and the stories and the complaints they have are, are just off the wall. But they had a show. Is it every day? Monday yeah. to Friday. Yeah, Monday to Friday, uh, kind of lunchtime, peak. If, you, if you're in the supermarket and something happens, uh, it'll be on that, Joe Duffy. That there's yeah. food that's out of date. Uh, someone will say, Oh, you want to ring Joe Duffy in the yeah. morning? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Um, That's such an old school way of uh, doing media, but I love it. It's kind of why I love the Late Late Show. Like these yeah. things don't really exist exactly. in America anymore. Yeah. So so this show, uh, <laughs> prior to to um, UFC ninety three, I mean there was people ringing in and they were like, oh, you know, people have died in there, Joe. This is this is a disgrace. This shouldn't be happening in Ireland. This is blood sport. This is, and and I mean there was a couple of people who rang in who tried to kind of you know offer balance. Wayne McCullough, do you remember Danny? Wayne McCullough, yeah. You Wayne know. McCullough was working on the PR for the UFC at the time. Yeah. And he was in the, in oh, the right. Gibson, he was in the, the Gibson Hotel um, and he overheard it or he someone said here, Wayne, have you heard of Joe Duffy? And Wayne obviously knows who Joe Duffy is. So Wayne tried to get on the show to defend it, but it wasn't happening because wasn't, yeah. they were just so far removed from what the actual sport is like. Yeah, so I think I think what you're dealing with is this there is a very kind of weird conservative thing in Ireland of people who, who don't embrace new things at all plus that old guard of journalists who just they couldn't live in a world where MMA and boxing could exist it was just boxing and this this MMA is a disgrace kind of thing yeah it's you you mentioned GSP earlier um and I think that's that is a great comparison in terms of Canada and Ireland but you guys have a sports stars uh, celebrities people who are more famous than GSP in Ireland, he became the thing you think of when you say Ireland. You know, it used to be Guinness or U2, things like this. But when he w- was th- that famous around the Mayweather time, the Habib time, you didn't, you'd be away in a different country. and You go, oh, I'm from Ireland. And they say, oh, Conor McGregor. And I think when he starts acting badly, it starts to actually, people start to feel it's a reflection on the nation rather than just this guy messing up, right? I think that's how famous he was. And but I, I'm I talking about, what, but I'm talking about before he started acting badly. Like, oh, am yeah, I wrong? Yeah. But the, the, problem, the problem with the media at that stage was they were, like, they, were all got, they were all bankrupt, essentially, all the media publications. They couldn't hire anybody in, me, to do the job. <laughs> but to credit where it's due, Paul Kimmage made the trek to Las Vegas. Ken Erdy made the trek to Las Vegas. Yeah. Not that Ken's an old, an old man. But after a certain amount of time, he got so big that they had to do something. They were forced to do something. They had to come over and learn about the sports and go to all the media junkets that we did. But unfortunately, they missed uh, all the good stuff nearly. They nearly missed everything that was so magical about it because they came in for Mendes and then, you know, he he kind of changed his persona then during the Diaz fights. It was a loss. 
they rejoiced in the loss and then Mayweather, et cetera, just gave them an extra reason as far as the Irish mainstream media were concerned to, to just smash him. I can remember going on radio shows and they just lambasted me. As soon as I'm on the phone, they didn't even ask me my opinion. Here's MMA journalist Peter Carroll. This is a load of bollocks, isn't oh. it, Peter? And, you know, it, it, was, it was incredible. And so now it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like it's almost like, see, he told you this guy was... Yeah, this, exactly. This 100%. 100%. Told you he was a, told you he was a jackass. I told you years ago he was. Um, yeah. Just to move on from Mr. McGregor. Um, well, Thank actually, no, well, actually, um, Pete Ariel, do you see him win again in the UFC? Yeah, I, I can see him winning a fight, but I don't of think course. he's I mean, a champion again. But look at the Cerrone fight. Like, he outclassed him. Um, there are plenty of those fighters out there, and there are plenty of those opportunities out there, right? Like, let's say there's no reason why he can't beat Tony Ferguson, right? Someone who maybe isn't, you know, Again, I always Connor is <laughs> Connor is such a a polarizing figure, um, and he just recently called me a slaphead, and I don't know how to feel about that. If I'm being honest, no, bro, tell me, lads, what do you what do you what think of when someone is called a slaphead? What Baldy. does that mean? Baldy. There, you see, is that a, it, is that a term of slave. is that a term of endearment or is that a, an insult? Well, considering it, they really like you, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it depends on who it's coming from. It's a bit like when, when an Irish person calls someone a bollocks. It can yeah. be great or it can be, he's a fucking bollocks, you know? So, yeah, I know uh, I had Action <laughs> Bronson. Do you guys know who Action Bronson yeah. is? Yes, I love he's, Action Bronson. He's a legend. He's the man. Yeah. He was on my show on Wednesday and we were talking a little bit about the ceremonial first pitch and kind of having a laugh and uh mma fighting tweeted the clip and <laughs> i woke up to connor writing like uh he wrote a couple of slap heads and wrote a, you know was talking about the mechanics of it and all that and i was like damn would you want to slap me now you know i feel like i've been pretty fair to connor so i sent it to pt and i was like what does this exactly mean and he uh you know he explained that it was yeah, it was I, not I, as I, big of an insult yeah i'd say that was a bit of fun that's all man the wild yeah, thing ricky vaughn comparison did make me laugh i have to say Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, I mean, if it was somewhat apropos, uh, but you know, in his defense, that those pitches from the mound aren't as easy as people think. In any event, um, Fifty Cent, just ask him. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that there are there are still fights that he can have and sell at arenas and be a relevant part of this sport. The big question is, does he want to do it? Does he have the drive to do it? Does he have the motivation? You know, all those things that people have been talking about. He's still young enough to where he can be very successful. There's, there's still a good five years, I think, of fighting at least left in him. Uh, the question is, as other fighters have faced as well, you make a lot of money. You know, that's, that's to me the most fascinating thing about Jake Paul right now. Unlike every other fighter who goes into the fight game dirt poor for the most part, then they have to deal with what happens when you become famous and rich, etc. Jake Paul is famous and rich already, at some point, is he going to say, like, why am I doing this nonsense? Why am I doing this weight cut? Why am I doing this training camp? Why am I doing sparring on Tuesdays and Thursdays and all this stuff? So, that you know, I know I just went on a weird tangent there, but it's a byproduct of the fight game. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad you actually you, you mentioned this because I did want to touch on it as well. And I suppose, like, I, I, look, I'll dive in at the deep end. Like, Tyrone Woodley, how bruised must his ego be at the moment? Oh, you want to take PT, is that for me or you? Both. Both. both, both Tyrone Woodley. This is what Jake Paul was mocking him by saying. We can't call him Tyrone Woodley. His name is Tyron Woodley. Tyron. Tyron, Byron. Uh, (laughs) 
actually yesterday he told me uh sorry for dating us if this is coming out later but on Wednesday, he told me that uh, he's actually getting the tattoo in the end. Oh, don't Let's, get the tattoo. Man. I know. It's, actually yeah, get that tattoo, I know, right? I know, it's gone. It's, I know. They aren't going to fight you again, lad. I know. I know. Hang on. Where is he getting it? More importantly, Arse. I That's asked that question. He said TBD. He said he was thinking his knuckles. And I said to him, like, why don't you get it on a spot that's easy to remove? Ass. I don't know where that's. I don't know. Like, I mean, ass would probably make sense because you don't have to look at it. Bottom uh, of your foot. Yeah. I mean, there were no specifications as to where it has to happen. In any event, yeah, I'm sure there's a part of him. But you know what? There was a lot at stake there for Tyron. And I felt like he left. You know, obviously he wanted the W. But, like, he left with his legacy relatively intact. I don't think Ben Askren did. I think yeah, Ben Askren's yeah. legacy was was hurt mightily. Um, he didn't get knocked out. He didn't get dropped. He didn't get outclassed. Of course, would he have rather won? Yes. But I don't feel like this has now... I don't think this is an indictment on his career. And I also don't think like when Ben Askren, when the story of Ben Askren's career is told, unfortunately, I don't think it's fair, but unfortunately, I think this is going to be pretty high up mm. the story, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. think this is high up on Tyron's story. I think this is like a footnote because of how he performed. In regards to the bigger picture with the Paul brothers, I mean, they're, they're YouTube stars. I didn't know who they were up until the last 10 months or maybe 15 months, but they're YouTube stars and they're flirting with uh, Vince McMahon. They're, mm-hmm. they're doing crazy numbers at the, the box office. Is this, is this good for combat sports? Like, is this good for boxing? Is this, I mean, you do see casuals tweeting, like saying, why are people giving this airtime? Why are people buying this? You know, where, where does it go? Like, what's their ultimate goal? Is it just to make money or is it, Will, will they get a sanctioned fight for a title? Where does it go? I think it's a, it's a great spectacle, to be honest. Um, and I think it's bringing in new eyes to the fight game that you know, they didn't have before. I don't, think, I, I don't look at this in the same way as Canelo Plant. You know, I, don't, I don't see it like that at all. I think it's its own entity, really. Right. Um, and I think it's a good thing because... You know, you need a foot into something. Like, I think the people who are watching Jake Paul fights have never tuned into a boxing event for the most part. You know, they're tuning in to see Jake Paul. And they're actually putting on some legitimate fights. Like some of them didn't pan out so well, right, with, with Tommy Fury and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're putting on legitimate fights on the card. They're making a lot of money. And it's, it's stirring up a lot of interest within the fight game. Like, I mean, if you ask most of the UFC fighters now if they could get out of their contract to fight Jake Paul, I'm sure they'd bite their, your hand off, you know? so That's, that's because UFC pay about 20 quid an hour, though. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. But the fact that it's there and the fact that it's an option, I think, is a very good thing. The more options, the merrier. The fact that it's there for someone like Tyron Woodley, whose career seemed to be over when the UFC... You know, after his last fight with Luke, it seemed like, you know, where does this guy go from here to go into a fight like that? I think that's an incredible thing. So are, um, you, are you saying that it's like, want of a better term, it, it's, it's not boxing, it's not MMA, but it's actually like sports entertainment? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I do. That's how I see it. Um, some kind of weird hybrid. It's not quite WWE either, but it, it's, it borrows heavily from it as well, I think. Um, I will just say... Uh, I see a lot of people uh, saying that this is a sign that boxing is in trouble, that boxing is dead. To me, 
this is a sign that boxing is actually really healthy and successful and thriving. If boxing were truly dead, people like Jake Paul wouldn't want to attach themselves to it. They would try to find the next cool thing to do or the next fat. It isn't easy to be a boxer. Like, say what you will about the guy and his skills and his path. He's still getting punched in the face. He's still training. He's still working out like a madman. He's still cutting weight, all this stuff. None of these things are necessarily fun, but it seems like it's guiding him and it's making him into a better person. Um, And so, to me, this is actually an indication that boxing is doing really well. Like, nothing drives me more up the wall than hearing people talk about boxing being dead boxing's like boxing is doing great there are a lot of great boxers and it seems like every single weekend there's a fight that i need to go out of my way to watch and a fight that i'm just as excited about to watch as i am an mma fight this weekend for example anthony joshua is fighting i love watching anthony joshua fight some people say he's boring i think he's a freaking he's a magician out there he's a genius boxer especially a heavyweight boxer the way he uses his jab and his footwork and his speed and i want to see that fury fight and I want to see what happens with Fury in a couple of weeks and and on and on it goes and so um, I think boxing is doing great I don't think this is a problem I don't think it's a bad thing and I will also add that there is no finite amount of spots in the world of combat sports and so the same reason I was ultimately okay with CM Punk doing his UFC thing and it's the same reason I'm okay with Jake Paul. And by the way, it's ironic that, you know, the guy in the middle of this, Dana White, is critical of Jake Paul, yet was willing to put CM Punk in the UFC. But that's neither here nor there. We can ignore that irony um, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> how it comes across as being a hypocrite. The point is... Dana White being a hypocrite? Yeah, come on, Ariel. All right, we've all said a few crazy things on here, but that takes yeah. the biscuit, mate. He's a good Dana. guy. The point is... Uh, you have a situation where Jake Paul's fighting on a card. Tyron Woodley's getting his biggest payday, including when he was a champion. People like Amanda Serrano are getting more money than ever, than ever, more money than ever, and and more uh, shine than ever. Daniel Dubois, Tommy Fury, Montana Love, Ivan Branchik, all these legitimate boxers, quote unquote, legitimate boxers, are getting greater opportunities, more shine than ever before because of this guy. So if you are a fan of boxing and if you are a purist and how funny is it that people try to defend the sanctity of boxing when there are a ton of issues in boxing, be happy that some of your favorite fighters, that these legit boxers who did it the hard way, who came from nothing are getting opportunities because of this guy. Who is being harmed here? I don't see a single entity that's being harmed here. In fact, I, I, I only think it's better for the sport of boxing if someone like Jake Paul is involved. So I have no problem. You, my favorite thing about it is, is his, how he's working up Dana Hoyt. Like, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah, think yeah. it's incredible. Like, Dana doesn't realize he's just doing an advertisement for Jake Paul every time he talks about him. Yeah. And, and you yeah. can see he's seething. There's a very rare amount of people in the world that can make Dana that angry. One of them Ariel is on this and, call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other one is Jake Paul. <laughs> Ariel and the Paul brothers. I think yeah. he loves me. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> you, you kind of hit it for me as well there, Ariel, when you're saying it, because I look at the, people want to be on a, a Paul Brother fight card. People want to be involved. They want that rub. You compare that to UFC this weekend, and you've got Nick Diaz is making his first appearance in the octagon in a number of years, and he's talking about, I don't really know why I'm doing this. Whoever made this fight is an idiot. And I'm kind of like, that. And I know it's the Diaz brother, and I know, you know, but we're hearing that language from one of the biggest stars on a fight card compared to 
the eagerness and the excitement that we're hearing in the Paul card, I don't think there's much doubt about boxing being anywhere near dead. It's not. It's thriving. But, but that kind of language from an MMA card kind of makes you go, oh, what's going on here? Well, Nick Diaz is a special character because he has had a complex relationship with fighting for quite some time. He has Mm. talked openly about not liking fighting and everything that goes into it and hurting another individual. I mean, he's honestly been talking about this for almost a decade. So part of that is just Nick being Nick. Um, That being said, uh, I feel uncomfortable with this whole situation. Um, And, and look, yesterday I was, I was writing about it on Twitter and then Connor of all people chimes in and then I'm being shamed for having feelings about fighters. And I I don't know how to properly verbalize it, but when I look at Nick and I've been saying this for several weeks, I want to hear from Nick because I want to know, is he doing this because he wants to or because he has to? Um, And what I mean by has to is, is someone coercing him into doing it? Does he need the money? Does he owe money? You know, he talked openly about the IRS issues that he had after the GSP fight. I mean, there's a lot to this guy. And you don't just walk away from something for six years and we've all seen him partying and drinking and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden come back and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm back. And I, I now love to punch people in the face. When I told you guys for 10 years, I didn't like doing it. Um, I'll never forget when I asked him before a fight, I think it was Mary Saramskis. And uh, I said, are you excited? Like a stupid question. And he got so mad at me. No, I'm not excited. I don't want to do this. And so now here he is all these years later and he still feels the same way. And you, you see him sitting there and it's like, man, there's got to be a better way for Nick Diaz to be a part of the fight game, whether it's coaching, whether it's mentoring, whether it's like, if he doesn't want to do this, I don't want to see him do this. I don't want to see him take part in this. And especially when you consider the fact that he probably isn't making what he deserves and he probably owes some money and there's people behind him that he doesn't trust, that he doesn't feel like they're looking out for his best interest. Um, I don't know, man. I feel, I feel conflicted. I see a lot of people and dare I say in the media, not present company but like waving pom-poms Nick Diaz is back and I don't want to take part in that I honestly I'm just praying that he's okay and I know that makes me soft and I know it's the fight game and I know we're alpha males and we have a lot of testosterone and we just want our Saturday night fights with our wings and our beer and we just want to have a grand old time but I'm sorry maybe I'm a little too close to the sun to where I, I actually have feelings towards these people and maybe I shouldn't let this happen because I'm a journalist but I have feelings towards Nick Diaz and I feel a certain way about this man and I know he's been through a lot and I just don't want to see him get hurt. And I don't want to see a shell of Nick Diaz's former self in there getting knocked out by Robbie Lawler. I don't want to see it. I don't want anything to do with it. Is a testament to the lack of stars that UFC um, have created in the, in the sense that they're matchmaking a fight that happened 17 and a half years ago? Well, you heard him say, you know, in that interview with ESPN, like, I don't even know why this fight is happening, uh, which is alarming in its own right. Look, I don't mind this fight, to be honest, because the idea of Nick Diaz going in there against Kamara Usman or Hamza Shamai, like, I don't want to see him get pummeled. I think actually easing your way back in against a guy like Robbie Lawler, who you know, who you beat, who you have confidence that you can beat, who you have a history of fighting against, who isn't at the top of the game. Like, I think... Actually, I think the UFC got it right, to be honest. Like, the matchup on paper makes sense. But, like, if the guy doesn't want to be there and he doesn't want to cut the weight and he doesn't want to do what he signed up to do, like, that to me is a red flag. And and obviously, Nick has always – like, I'm not blind to who he has been and what he's all about. He's always had issues with anxiety and social anxiety and fighting. And, all. like, these, these aren't new things. But, like, 
I don't know, man. Um, it's one thing to have those feelings and be 25 and be able to get up for a fight and beat another man. It's another to be in your late 30s and be out of the game for six years and to just be kind of pushed in there. On top of it, you're sitting there with that stupid uniform and you're not making money. I, I hate that. that. The crypto uh, fucking t-shirt. The whole oh thing felt like this. It, you know what it felt like? It felt like Weekend at Bernie's where they were just like <laughs> trying him out there and put a uniform on him and like, let's try to make money with, you know, like, come on, man. It's we just, were told, we were told with the Reebok deal that it's going to be the evolution of MMA. And now with the Venom deal, what has, it, what has either deals done to the UFC? Screw the fighters over, really. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. It's that's that's the main off. thing take, it did. Take, take money out of fighters' pockets. But yeah. isn't, is, isn't the previous day, like, without Reebok and Venom, we saw personalities in the, mm. in the fighters. Mm. Now we don't see anything. Now we have, like, six, sometimes six pay-per-views in a month. We have Lawler, uh, Diaz, two fighters that fought 17 and a half years ago. Like, there's so much options out there now. It's... Is UFC needed? <laughs> I, I still think, yeah, geez, I think that the UFC is still there. Like, I mean, it's still the major league of this sport. You know, there, there's no doubt about it. It's still the one every fighter who goes to the gym for the first time starts training. They're vision themselves as UFC fighters in the future. But I think it's, I think the issue people have who cover the sport is because UFC's boasts and Dana White's boasts of how mainstream they are. We're, we're getting to, to be one of the top four leagues in America, which seems crazy to even to even fathom that. I think it's annoying for us, knowing how much the company was sold for and everything like that, and knowing the profits they're making, that they aren't making mainstream moves for their fighters, right? Like, And they Absolutely. aren't going to. They aren't going and then, to. And then, and then Ashley and Daly gets paid 8,000 euro for showing up like. That's, do you know, once I was on RTE and they were talking, it was me, Paddy Hoolan and Ashing Daly against Kenny Egan, the boxer, and some broadcast from RTE. And he said, like, Ashing had retired at the stage, but medically retired, or either her or Paddy had. And he turned around, and it's this big debate. It's filmed in a boxing ring, absolutely mental. And they go, um, they go to Ashing, I just don't know how you just get paid millions of dollars for this. And Ashing's like, what the f- you know what I mean? It's just the idea that because they're in this mainstream sport that they're making so much money, most of these guys come out with their careers in debt. I think that speaks to what Ari was saying about Nick as well. Like to have an icon, a guy who transforms a fight week to the point where people are talking about, did you see Nick Diaz walking into the hotel? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Did you see Nick Diaz with his shirt off to shadow boxing? Did you see Nick Diaz's interview? All of this stuff, weigh-ins, everything, everything becomes an event. And we know he's not getting paid the same amount of money or anywhere near it. Someone like Jake Paul, who people are saying is a laughing stock, he's getting nowhere near that. I think that's what hurts about the UFC. Um, and Ariel speaks about this all the time. Like, as much as it's the UFC's problem, it's the, the fighters' problems for not coming together and, and unionizing. Um, of course, they're going to do it for as long as they can and get away with it. But I think that's what kind of hurts. And I think, speaking about Nick Diaz, I had so many people reach out to me in the last whenever the ESPN interview was, was um, put out there, talking about how uncomfortable it made them feel. But I think it made them feel uncomfortable because Nick always kind of spoke like that, as Ariel said, before there was a Romskis fight, talking about how much he hated fighting and stuff. But the, thing that, the things that he's saying in the interview is making you look at it like straight in the face, the, the, the brutality of the fight industry, where he's like, I've given everything I've had to this game. And he has. Look at his record. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's given me nothing back. 
and I'm, he's talking about looking at his brother's face getting split open against Leon and going, Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to do this in a few weeks because you know he's not getting compensated for it. You know he's not. And I think that makes people uncomfortable. That's what the uncomfortable thing is. He's literally saying, like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to get my face fucking destroyed on Saturday night. Um, I don't even know who I'm doing this for. The fight game has given me nothing. I think that's what pe- makes people uncomfortable, hearing someone speak the truth about the fight game and, and how horrific it is. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, and I, I think that's a very salient point. Um, and the flip side of that is, there's a really good title fight that I'm looking forward to. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> like, I'm, like I'm not trying to be a dick. I, like what you said is 100% true, but at the same time, I'm also kind of like, I can't wait for that fucking title fight though. Yeah, yeah. It's, look, I mean, we, we have to put up, we kind of have our face with it more than most because, you know, this is our, our livelihood. Mm. But I mean, I've lost count of how many fighters I've seen, you know, chewed up and spat out by the fight game and I'm sure Ariel's the same I'm sure Ariel has a thousand more stories than I do but it's that's what it is that's the reality of the game and it's that brutality that kind of draws people to it too and as you say like in one breath we're saying how terrible is this about Nick Diaz geez I can't wait to see Volkanovski v Ortega you know what I mean it's just it's it's the way it is well that's it Ariel well yeah I will just say that look I know (laughs) I try to sometimes park these feelings because, um, you know, I know that what we do and what the fights represent are an escape for people on Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever. And I don't want to get, you know, my feelings involved. I, I get that. That being said, when you know how the sausage is made and when you're flying as close to the sun as we are sometimes, it's impossible to turn a blind eye. I remember when I was younger, I read a book about Howard Cosell and towards the end of his life, as you may know, he didn't like boxing anymore. In fact, he was very outspoken about, you know, um, not liking boxing anymore and seeing what it did to his friend Muhammad Ali and and whatnot. And Howard Cosell was the voice of boxing in this country, um, the face of boxing media as well. And uh, I didn't quite understand that. I'm like, how could you turn on it after all those years, after all that it did for you? And I'm not saying that I've gotten to that point far, you know, like far from it. I I still love it. And I love the fighters in particular, more so than the fights. I hope people understand. I love the fighters. Um, And I respect them a lot. I have such admiration for them. But uh, there are times where you're like, man, am I part of the problem? Um, Am I someone that should be doing more to help them. I don't know. I don't know what our role is sometimes. And again, like, I, I, I guess I'm being all sort of, you know, uh, emotional with you guys there or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because like I, I wrote that thing yesterday and then Connor pops in and when Connor pops in, a bunch of other people pop in. And I, I, I agree with everything that he said, like fighters just like, let them scrap, you know, like this is their life at the end of the day, who am I to tell them what to do and what not to do and all that stuff. So I have no issues with what he wrote. But then I kind of try to explain where I'm coming from and it's all like, shut the F up, go cover, you know, dancing, go freaking, you know, like, man, I like MMA more than you guys. I've devoted my life to MMA. What have you done for MMA? You know what I mean? Like, what have you done? You, 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 you spend your Saturday and want to put blinders on and just see these guys get battered and you don't care what happens to them on Sunday. Um, and so don't yeah, tell yeah. me about like the fighters. Don't tell me about go cover this or that, go watch this or that. Like, I love this sport. I mean, freaking, I put a lot into this sport where I feel like, uh, I don't know, I feel like I've earned the right to speak up sometimes when I feel like things don't feel 100% kosher. So I don't know. And, and as I said to PT this morning, I think that Nick uh, brings out these feelings in all of us because like, I think we all want to protect Nick. And I think we all 
you know, I think Nick represents why we got into this sport to begin with, why we love this sport. He represents 04, 05, Gomi, Gogo Plata, Pride, Strike Force, Elite XC, flipping off Frank Shamrock. Like that's what he represents. And we feel so far removed from those days. And like, we don't want to see one of those guys, one of the last guys left from that era get trotted out there in a freaking Venom jersey and a crypto logo and get beaten up. Like, that's just depressing, man. That's depressing. I was going to say that. Like, when I was watching the Brett interview, I was like, this is no longer the Nick Diaz game. Like, you know, it, it feels the UFC that he was a part of, it's so far removed from that. Like, it feels like he doesn't fit in. Like a square and a round hole kind of job. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel right. He fits into... The Wild West, anti-establishment, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not like Nick Diaz and his brother, but Nick in particular used to walk to the cage wearing jeans and a belt buckle and boots. Like that's how he walked to the cage, and we loved up new metal. And we loved it. Yeah, we loved it. We loved it. That, yeah. but, but by the way, that's why we love fighters because Mike Tyson wore all black, and Tito wore fire on his shorts, and Chuck wore ice on his shorts, and GSP came out like. We love that about them. We love their personalities. We love that they're unique. That's why I love pro wrestling, you know, because uh, Stone Cold comes in as, you know, like that's what we love. We love individuality. We love, and for some reason, they have stripped that away and it drives me nuts. The the incredible professionalism, Ariel. You've just given us the segue to professional wrestling we've been waiting for there. But yeah. as well as that, Fuck. though, it, it's like you were talking about <laughs> with we, wheeling Nick Diaz out. It's almost like uh, Vince McMahon wheeling out Hulk Hogan every year, you know, for some. At least Hulk Hogan gets to wear his merch. I suppose. And he's still got the leg drop, man. At the end of the day, he still has the leg drop. He's not doing that leg drop. He he can't, man. He goes leg drop. That hippo go pop. You know what I mean? So I've I've got, I got literally got one entry into the pro wrestling conversation and destroyed myself immediately. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. Flew too too close, yeah, man. You're, um, or sorry, Ariel. You're now also working with BT in the UK for WWE coverage. How are you finding that? I love it. Um, I have long loved WWE and I'll be honest, well, pro wrestling, but I'll be honest that, uh, you know, there was a period, especially during my MMA, um, you know, journalism career that it was hard to keep up with it. Um, if only because like MMA to me feels like real pro wrestling, it's the same type of characters and setups and storylines, but it's a different kind of payoff. And so I really devoted a lot of time and uh, energy to MMA, but my kids really got into it over the past year, the pandemic. And so that was like an easy transition to get up to speed with the characters and the storylines and all the stuff. And uh, I feel like MMA right now is hotter than, excuse me, I feel like pro wrestling is hotter than MMA right now. I feel like with what's going on with WWE and AEW, and just last night we had 20,000 fans in Queens. Like, Amazing. You, you joke about it, but like you have to appreciate this. Like, oh, yeah. 20, thousand people in queens new york at where the u.s open is played right attended a non-wwe event that's the largest crowd in over 20 years in north america for a non-wwe event like could you imagine bellator drawing twenty thousand fans to an event could you imagine pfl drawing ten thousand let alone 20 like there is no promotion in mma that could combat what the UFC does. And so to see competition, which by the way, I would argue makes the WWE product better. And of course gives, you know, the wrestlers an opportunity to make more money and have options. Like this is great. This is why we fell in love with wrestling in the nineties attitude era. So it's a great time. And just as an aside, like BT, I reached out 
to them in the uh, in the latter stages of my you know figuring out my life because like I just really love their content. I love what they uh, represent. I love how they cover MMA and pro wrestling and boxing. And uh, yeah, I'm really I, I lo- you know I love European people. I, I love English people. I love UK. Like I just I'm really I'm really honored to be a part of their team. Very small part. They've got people who are more you know present each and every week. But uh, so far, it's been really great to to work with them. You're you saying, saying that it's going it. home and you're gone, Helwani. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> You were saying earlier on about GSP in Canada and how popular he was. Was would he have been a household name like Bret Hart was in the nineties? I would like to think so. Um, look, it took a little longer for GSP to get the respect that he deserved um, as well, the attention. But I, I never felt, as opposed to Connor, like it took for GSP. It took a while, but when he made it, there wasn't pushback. There was no barbaric and all this stuff. With Connor, I felt like it may have taken a while, but it also, once he got there, there was the pushback. And then, of course, you know, the latter stages of their career, like GSP has been a completely different citizen than, than Connor. Uh, just different character, right? Different personality and, and all that. And, and that's fine. But um, I would like to think so. Canadians are very supportive. They're very proud. Like, you know, it's, it, in, in many respects, it's, it's like in Ireland, like a, a Katie Taylor or someone else like breaks through and does well on the international stage. For the most part, usually you're going to support them if you're from a smaller nation. And we're the same way. I mean, there's more people living in, in California than Canada. So if someone gets a medal, a gold medal, a silver, like that part, Penny Oleksiak is a great swimmer. Like she's now a hero in Canada. So I would like to think it, it would be the same thing. Dana White did a very smart thing in, in uh, GSP's uh, heyday where he called him more famous than Wayne Gretzky, who's a very famous hockey player. Yeah, a great one. Um, and, like, that's an absurd statement. He, he will <laughs> never be more famous than Wayne Gretzky. But this was classic Dana White promotion. And I'm being honest. Like, he did a very – because then every talk show, everyone was debating this. And in turn, it got people to know, like, who's this guy that this guy is saying is bigger than Wayne Gretzky? It was a very smart move on his part. This was like UFC 129 time when he's fighting, you know, at the Sky Dome against uh, Jake Shields, like really the peak of his popularity. I thought that was a really shrewd move on Dana's part. What about um, what about Bret Hart's anti-American heel run that, that where he was, oh yes, where he was loved, yes. in, where he was loved in Canada, and he just hated in America. That was a great time for professional wrestling. It was a very smart uh, storyline, like and and very rare to have someone who is, as you said, like beloved in his country and then everywhere else is playing in Uber heel. Um, yes, my claim to fame is that I was at uh, the 1997 Survivor Series, the Montreal Screwjob. I was no there. Way. Yeah, I was there as a fan. Uh, 97, I was 15, and I love Bret Hart. I love Bret Hart. Bret Hart is probably my. I think I don't know. I think it's probably I. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, fact, he was my first favorite athlete, um, and of course, early on, I thought it was all real and whatnot. Um, and I remember being a kid at the doctor's office, probably eight years old, getting a shot of some kind, and uh, my mom and I was nervous. And my mom told me to close my eyes and to think of something that made me happy. And I remember thinking in my head. I remember vividly where I was thinking of Bret Hart winning the heavyweight championship this before (laughs) that's how much he meant to me and at the time tag team uh guy right so like the idea of him breaking through and getting that was a really big deal um 
Yeah, I loved him. I loved what he represented. I thought he was so cool. The hair, the glasses, the pink tights, all that. And uh, man, I'll never forget one of the, the best memories for me as a journalist, UFC 149 in Calgary. Um, uh, someone put us in contact with each other. He lives in Calgary. I was there. It was Hennebrow versus Drive Faber. And I asked if I could interview him. And we were staying at this Airbnb somewhere in town. And Brett freaking Hart got in his car and drove to our Airbnb, did an interview with me, wow. and then just sat around and talked in the apartment. Like just chill, like came alone, no entourage, no one else with him. And we talked about the screw job and Owen and all this stuff. And I was like, I can't believe, A, I can't believe you're here. And B, I can't believe you're this cool and down to earth. Like Brett Bruno, Hart, Was that surreal, was it? Absolutely surreal. Sean Sheehan likes to joke that I use the word surreal too much. Um, and I say that like, I, there's so many moments in my life where I just can't believe I'm there. It's like the Jake Paul Woodley thing. I'm in the ring. I'm in the freaking ring in a spot where I saw Larry Merchant and Kellerman and Jim Gray. And that felt surreal. Being in a small apartment, a 500 square foot apartment with Bret Hart. And he drove to come do an interview with me. And then just is hanging out. Isn't like, oh, thank God this is over. I need to get out of here. It's just like hanging out and answering all my fanboy questions and I try not to overdo it. Yeah, I don't even yeah. think I took a picture with him because like, I, I just, I've, I've never done that. I, I don't want to be that guy ever and fanboy, but like he was hanging out and uh, yeah, just a great memory. And those are moments like if you could have told me when I was eight, nine, 10, that I would get to do this for a living. I mean, I would have a never believed you and B been over the moon. So I try to be very thankful and grateful and, and remember those moments. Have you any feelings on um, Tony Khan and AEW buying the, having the, the, uh, the partnership with the Owen Hart Foundation now? Have you read, have you seen uh, that? Yeah, of course I saw it. And um, I can't help but feel like these guys can't miss, you know? They just seem <laughs> to be hitting all the right notes. So me and Danny were saying, like, me and Danny were saying, it's like they almost sat around the table and was like, how do we rub Vince up the wrong way again? Yeah. Well, I'd like to. I'd like to think it's genuine and not that they're using Owen Hart's memory um, to annoy anyone. But I also think that uh, Tony, because he's so young, and I've never met him or talked to him, but he seems to be, you know, a really smart guy and have smart people around him, seems to know what will endear the product to the fans. And again, I don't mean this as an insensitive thing, but it's like, man. Everyone, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it's crazy that it happened on that day. So, you know, I don't know if you know this, but like I do MMA hour a couple times a week. And, and um, there's this guy, Robert Pearson, who draws these pictures. He's for like, Yeah. And uh, he's been doing this since DC and Hawani. And so on Sunday, this is before this Owen Hart thing came out. On Sunday, um, he, he told me like what the picture would be for this week. And it was me dressed up as Owen Hart. I now, did see it. I did see it. Yeah. Okay. Well, wait, wait a second. Not quite because um, he's done this now for like a year and a half. And I told, and I've never said anything of it. Like the, I'm, I'm just honored that he would do it. And I told him I didn't feel comfortable. I, I should not be dressed up as Owen Hart. Like to me, um, what happened to him was tragic and it's different than like Eddie Guerrero or all the other tragedies in the sport because it happened in front of us. It happened at an event and it should have never happened and it was a horrible accident and it had nothing to do with him, right? It wasn't self-inflicted. And I just said, I don't know if it's because I'm Canadian or because I loved Owen Hart or the Hart family, like I should not be dressed up as Owen Hart. I, I'm not worthy of that. 
And I said, I'm really sorry, but he had to draw another one um, at the 11th hour because I just didn't feel comfortable with that idea. And then weirdly enough, the AEW thing comes out the next morning. And so like, again, it was a reminder that like, this guy is special. And uh, I just think that AEW is doing a great job honoring him. And I hope that they're doing it for the right reasons. And they just seem to know how to hit the uh, the wrestling fans in the heart. Like mm. I kind of view now like AEW, um, you know, they're, they're a great competition. And, and I think it's raising WWE's game. But like my, my kids aren't really into AEW and that's okay. It, it almost feels like the adult show. Yeah. And Raw and SmackDown is the kid show. And I think that's actually fine. I, I think it's great. Like, I, wouldn't, like I, I was watching um, MJF cut a great promo last week. <laughs> He's I mean, amazing. It was, it was freaking amazing. But, like, I don't want my kids, honestly, to listen to that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, like, yeah. the, the shithead stuff. Like, and so I'm happy that that's not on Fox on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice that, like – He's I only think- 24, isn't he, MJF? Yeah, he's incredible. But I think it's great that the, 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 the Attitude Era fans have this. And then I think it's great that the kids have someone like Big E to look up to and, and all this stuff. So wrestling is just on fire right now. I just, I'm conscious we're, we're, we're running over time and Sorry. you're a very, My very fault. busy. No, no. I mean, we'd let you waffle for as long as you want. But I'm just conscious PT was telling us how busy you were and that he'll get in trouble if he doesn't get you out of here on time. So, That's true. Um, but... <laughs> And PC, we'll try to pull you in here, man. I'm going to try to pull you into the wrestling conversation because one of the best things about AEW recently has been Dan Lambert. Oh, have you, yes. Have you, and, and Ariel, I'll come to you as you're now a heel. I want to get your take on his promos now. PC, have you seen any of his work in AEW? Yeah, I have. Luckily, I was sent homework by Danny and Graham ahead of this, so I got to watch them. <laughs> you were sent homework from me, and you, so, you were... You were being a you were being a spoiled brat, and I was like, yeah, "Just well, do look, it." This I'm, I'm natural, you know. I don't want to don't want to have anything forced down my neck. But um, <laughs> all I'm saying is, uh, Kayla Harrison apparently wrote all of these things. It's nothing to do with Dan Lambert. He is merely a piece of flesh that they put out there to say these things. Well, the great Kayla Harrison is actually the one that's coming up with it. That's my only two cents on it. I think it's great though. Um, I think it's amazing that Dan La- Lambert is so public in this because. I felt maybe I'm wrong. I always knew he was the owner of ATT and he'd pop up here and there, but he would never be prominent at all. You know, it felt like he was just this kind of entrepreneur in the background pulling the strings that you didn't really know much about, but it's the complete opposite with AEW. And I believe he has a massive collection of world titles as well. So he's a real uh, obsessive about it. So 46 years he's been a fan. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's great that they're, they're melding the cultures. Um, because even though I'm not a, a wrestling fan, I've said this to you guys loads of times. Like, I, I think there's obvious. Um, you watched the Royal links. Rumble. I tried to every so every now and again. I try to get back into it just to get the cultural kind of references. But I understand the culture of wrestling. Like I watch all the documentaries about it. When you guys were talking about Bret Hart, I'm thinking about the great documentary they made about him. Um, wrestling with shadows or something i believe yeah, it was called yeah. i even got the wwe package to watch the monday night war after one of my appearances on your show because you were like this is amazing and that's what that sounds like this AEW thing and the wwf ww whatever they're called <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me it sounds like it it sounds like there's conflict there but it actually brings more eyes to the product kind of like jake paul and mma you also need to your ships man you were talking about the documentaries, PT. You need to get onto YouTube and watch all the Dark Side of the Ring. I've watched a good few of them. I watched the one with El Ric Flair. And, um, Unbelievable. 
Brilliant. Yeah, recently. It's yeah. Uh, the one the one that airs this evening is about Chris Canyon, which is the first openly gay professional wrestler. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Ariel Dan Lambert, what do you think? Um look, I think he's the man. I think that his uh his promo skills are great. I think that it's awesome that he's a big wrestling fan. I think it's great that he collects belts and has all these amazing belts at his house and the whole room and all that stuff. Uh I just don't know where this angle is going and it doesn't feel like it's connecting with the people like they thought it would like it feels like he's trying to do these scripted shoot interviews and break the fourth wall and talk about AEW as an outsider but it's like I don't know that's shade that is shade I'm actually not feeling it as much like I I, I see a lot of people going gaga and I'm like I you feel like Ramundi. well yes to be honest I mean he's the biggest AEW mark in the in the, in the <laughs> It could lead. It could lead to um, Arlovsky versus Jake Hager. And and you care about this? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, that's no. the problem. Like I no. think Kayla. The funny thing is, is that Kayla was anti MMA. Now she's a big star, and she's going to be an even bigger star soon. And she's anti pro wrestling. And now I think she could be the best one of the bunch. I think yeah. Kayla could be bigger than Ronda and better than Ronda at pro wrestling. She. I just think the world of her. Uh, but. I mean, it's like all these, I don't know. Like, first of all, I can't picture JDS as a mean guy. He's the nicest human being on the yeah, planet. Sure and like, he chose JDS to be your backup. And she's like, he's too nice. So I don't know. I just, I feel like, uh, I almost wish that they used Dan as not the ATT guy. Like, I, I just like use him as a heel manager and don't do this MMA team versus, because then it's also weird. There's two wrestlers with him as well. So like, what do they have to do with the MMA team? Like, I think, you know, they, they do a great job with Don Callis. He's like an old school. Oh, Don manager. is brilliant. Don there needs to be more of those in, in wrestling. Like Heyman to me is the gold standard right now, but Callis is great. A uh, fellow Canadian. Like I would just rather Dan cut promos for those two guys and leave it at that. Like, I don't think you need Paige and Austin and all these guys with them. So I don't know. That's, it's, that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very, very good point. You like the promos, but you don't see where they're going. Exactly. Exactly. Well, What's I'm, the payoff I'm, here? I'm enjoying it, and I can't wait to see where it goes. And if it results in, you know, Arlovsky versus Jake Hager, then I'm all is, right that, is that. that a wrestling match or an MMA fight? It'd be a wrestling match, man. Oh. And a, t- a testament to what Erdo was saying about JDS. I'll give you a quick JDS story before we go. Uh, you, I think it was, I can't know what you'll see it was. It was one of the ones we traveled to. I want to say 121. He was doing an audience Q&A. Lesnar Velasquez, I think. I could be wrong there. Uh, he was doing an audience Q&A. And uh, me being a plucky young MMA fan in the audience, so I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask a question. JDS, JDS. Ask a question. He couldn't understand a word I said. <laughs> right? Not a word. He was just like, I, I don't know. And I asked again. And I asked a third time. And at that point, he could pick up on my embarrassment. So in the end, he was just like, you want to just take a photo? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> so I just took a photo with him and left it at that. But it was, it was lovely. You know what I mean? So, he's yeah. a legend. He's he's one of the nicest people. Um, so I don't know. I mean, look again. If Arlovsky's getting paid, if these got like, I'm happy for them. I, I just like of all the things a you would think of all the things AEW is doing, this would be the one that like excites me the most. And it's kind of like, eh, like I love Adam Cole's entrance last week. Holy crap, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, for the for the crowd to be that pizza, you got to watch this. Like as someone who just appreciates a crowd, like. This, this guy was making his debut for the company, of course, a known commodity, and they were just 
playing along and eating up everything that he was doing, it was a thing of beauty. Like, I don't know if I've seen a debut that good. And uh, I could tell you what, like, I think the days of WWE using, um, what's the word? Like general, like, like, like cult of personality. What is that? Like a, a song? Like, I think they'll never do that again because to give a guy, like imagine punk debuts without that song. It's not quite the same feeling. Like it will take some time. The days of using that type of music in WWE, I think might be over because you don't want someone to leave and now have that music with them. The music is a big part of it, right? It's absolutely. It's, yeah. So it's just a fascinating time. Well, Ariel, listen, uh, you were talking about uh, off air, we were saying about your love of the Late Late Toy Show. And I just want to introduce you to your new uh, League of Ireland Premier Division soccer team, football team, but soccer for you North American fans. You're now supporting Shamrock Rovers football club. He's a Northsider. He's a Northside Dublin man. That's what we've made him honor. He's not supporting Rovers. He's Ariel's basically from Blanchardstown. I've given him all of his culture. His Irish culture. You're effectively saying he is a Shamrock Rovers fan. No, that's Paddy Hewlett in the woods. I'm basically saying to Omero, here, you're supporting the Boston Celtics. That's what you're saying to Ariel Helwani. I don't do that. Of course, I have not. (laughs) I'm sending him a jersey at Christmas. Well, that's the thing. You know, um, a couple years ago, uh, Darren Till, Patty... Pimblett and uh, Molly McCann were all vying for my football allegiance. Uh, you know, some wanted me to go Liverpool, some wanted me to go Everton. In the end, the lovely meatball Molly McCann got it done where Everton sent me a whole bunch of merch and some cups and stuff. And that's, I was bought. My fandom was bought. And so you coming on here and just saying, this is the way it is. No, no, no. You got to buy my I have fandom. a question. I have a question. I'm going to, oh my God, this is brilliant. On the day Ariel left MMA fighting, I sent him over a little present. It was a Dublin jersey. Did you or did you not leave that in the studio? Because I haven't seen a sniff of that no, wonderful blue no. jersey since. You no. should have been on repping that through all of our All Ireland finals. Can I be honest? The world. And what's, what's, what, what, what size was it? It was large. Yeah. I can't, people think I'm a tiny. I'm not. A, I can't wear large. What? La- large. People what's think I'm tiny. Thing? What are you talking about? Large I means wear, big. No, I wear XL or double XL. Mate, you're not that big. That's a that's American weight, though. How much do you think I weigh? I'd say yeah, weigh about two hundred pounds because they're six one, six one two ish. I weigh two hundred, fluctuate two hundred one, one ninety nine, blah blah blah. But like, uh, I'm a big. Who's actually sending you and Eric shorts in a size too small to motivate you to get on the treadmill? No. <laughs> I, I you actually said didn't you send him a Liverpool one or something? Yeah, and he had to lose weight to wear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I didn't want like God bless him, but I didn't want to have that look. So I appreciate it. Uh, next time, ask me my size, and I'll proudly rock it. But it was very nice. <laughs> it was very kind of you, and he did wear it. Um, listen, you know how I feel about Ireland. I love Ireland. And- That's what I wanted to say actually, because I feel like I've got you to brown belt level with crack. You know what I mean? Oh. You've got you've brown belt. And I'm happy to say today was actually a process to grade you as a black belt in crack. Oh. So oh. lads, it's up to you guys. We, we give him the full on Dan, give him, give him the black belt. Do you think, I think he's made it the most yeah, well, honorary well, Irish man in MMA. Absolutely. Black belt. What do we do? You just, we just say you're a black belt now. Hawani. That Ariel doesn't Hawani, feel bad. MMA Supremo, a uh, pro wrestling f- fan from the nineties. And now, and current Shamrock Rovers fan, you are a black belt in Irish crack. There you go. Well done. Wow. Ariel. What it's an a big honor. moment. What an honor. Thank you, guys. Uh, great to be here. Sorry if I uh, was a little long-winded, but you got me. Ah, we loved it. I was in the fields. I was in my fields, as the kids like to say. 
Uh, I wish you guys the best. Thank you for having me. Sorry for my tardiness. Sorry for having to reschedule. Sorry for making you wait. Sorry, 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 sorry for everything. This is part of this is my therapy in terms of uh, trying. To- <laughs> It's quite all right, my man. All we'll, the, uh, the issues in my life. We'll organise an official Irish crack certificate in the post here as well, so you can <laughs> display that on the fridge or wherever you want to. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. And um, PT, before we let you wonderful people go, the amazing Ringer MMA show, where can people listen to that, my friend? You can listen to it exclusively on Spotify. Um, we have a show actually tomorrow. Well, I don't know when this is coming out. It's going on Saturday morning. It's going on Saturday morning. Saturday morning. We're going to be doing a show right after the main event, UFC 266. It's one of the biggest events in a long time. I've got people reaching out to me that haven't watched the sport in ah. years just to tune in to see Nick Diaz. So I know there's going to be big reaction. Jump on Spotify Green Room straight after the show to talk to me, Ariel and Chuck, and have a bit of banter with the listeners. And then, of course, if you can't do that, it's going to be out on Spotify the next day, the full podcast. And I'm having a great time. It's the best thing I've ever been involved in. And it's a pleasure to work with the Jordan of MMA media over there. Mr. Absolutely. Ariel Obani. Absolutely. Amazing. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Ariel, it was surreal talking to you. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually annoyed about that. That's my joke with you. Sean Sheehan taking everything I live for, motherfucker. No! <laughs> Daddy, where can you listen to us? I was going to say, yeah, you can get us. uh, We're not exclusive. We're saying we're whores. We'll go anywhere. So we're on all the podcast places and you can ask Alexa to play us and everything and she will because she sounds like that. You just ask for WTS pod and we're there all 270 whatever episodes I said at the start of this thing. They're waiting for you. You can get us on Twitter. You can get us on where else are we? Instagram? Are we on Instagram? You're on Instagram. Don't ask me, man. I don't fuck. I don't know, man. Four weeks out and I've lost the rhythm of the the plug at the end do you know what I mean I'm at Dan Joe Murray on social media he's at Merigan Mania PT Carroll Ariel Helwani The Ringer MMA Show Lads, it has been an absolute blinder thank you so much Brian Merigan until next week clear eyes full hearts can't lose too sweet <laughs>